of it. Yeah. So I was saying, Josh, I, I second time now I've made this rookie mistake and not turn on the heater before coming in. So I'm freezing. Anyway, we were meant to meet in person last Thursday. I was getting ready. We were going to have steak and homemade chips and everything. I canceled my clinic in the afternoon. And yeah, I moved patients, but it's fine. And it's sad. The reason why you're not here face to face with me is because of all the terrible stuff that's happening in Israel and Palestine. And my heart goes out to all of you guys, what the massacres in Israel, all the deaths. It's horrible, painful. Um, I'm really sorry. Just God, I wish everybody could live in peace. Amen to that. Amen to that. But we seem determined to kill each other. So it's very sad, everything that's taken place and everything that's about that's going to take place. Um, yeah, it's been See, very fundamentally focused. Fundamentally, people. The, the mass that, yeah. Fundamentally, I was saying people. I've met so many people in this world from different backgrounds. Most people are good people. They want to take care of their family, their children, be loved, love back, have a community, have a purpose in life, have a job, and just be left alone. I always feel it's like, it's not really people that are the problem. It's the rulers and the decision makers and the predatory class. I mean, if I um, agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Um, unfortunately, it's also the case that People even, you know, people in their day-to-day lives, day-to-day lives who are good people can be very easily, let's say, manipulated to violence. And that seems to be a sad fact of human nature as far as I can see. What's the saying? Um, Do unto others as you would to yourself. I think just everyone should just treat other people the way they would want to be treated. Just live live your life like that. Yeah, I agree. And then you get the then you have the you know the conundrum of what do you do with when people don't <laughs> don't follow that. I mean, the tragedy yeah. of what yeah. occurred last week is just unspeakable. I have I fortunately didn't have any family that was lost, but I know people. I have friends who lost family members <clears> and. Um, well, anyway, say a prayer for all the innocents. Hundred percent, and uh, and uh, there's like so much. I mean, the problem is, I find it really difficult because I want to say lots of things, but I know so many people, very intelligent people, who've chatted to me like on the phone and said, "Oh, I'm not saying anything about this." I go, "Why not?" And they go, "Oh, doesn't matter what you say, you're going to upset someone. Someone's going to be upset. One side is going to be upset with you. You can't make." You're just going to upset someone. And I'm like, it's almost like COVID though. Like you're so polarized. It had to be this view or that view. And if you didn't take a side, you know, then you're partly at fault. But the thing is, if we're not allowed to talk and discuss and say, maybe it's not black and white, maybe there's grays. Then you're left with just these polarizing elements. and. And that's sad. That makes me sad. It makes me very sad. 
I think uh, one of the things that's been a big eye opener for me with this happening is, um, or I don't know, eye opener, but it's, you know, there's been sort of this growing movement of people who are trying to fight against uh, the sort of approaching fascism and uh, pharmaceutical crimes. And, um, and this issue is just cut that movement right down, you know, just asunder, torn it to pieces. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are some people that are voicing what I view as really reprehensible opinions. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's sad. I mean, so so I agree with you. I felt sorry. I felt like there was a, a really growing movement. We had we had the wind behind ourselves. We were uncovering all the nonsense that we'd been put through. And people from all across the world, from various backgrounds, were coming together. You know, there's an element of humanity that was really cohesive and, you know, common purpose in that sense that we knew these bad things were happening and we were fighting it. And that movement, you're right, it's just been blown apart. And we're now fighting each other. We're at each other's throats. And it's like, I'm standing going, no, no, we're on the same side. Like, there's no doubt there was a massacre in Israel. Innocent civilians, hundreds have died brutally. There's no doubt there were some really freaking horrible terrorists going around killing them. No doubt. And it's sickening. It's despicable. Equally, there's a lot of innocent people in Gaza, children particularly, are just dying now. And you can't, you can't say these two things aren't true. It's not one or the other. It's, they're both true, and they're both desperately sad. I just have lots of questions. I mean, I don't really expect us to be talking about this, but I'll give you an example. The most sophisticated border in the world with high-tech listening equipment, pressure analysis, everything, cameras, people. Where the frack were they? I mean, it's not exactly a big border. Where the hell was everybody? Why were these people allowed to come in? Who benefited from it? Let me tell you something. You know? Well, that's a question we always have to ask who benefited, but, um, you know, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to get this, have this conversation uh, gotten in at this level of detail. I think we both agree that there's a great deal of tragedy. you know, preventable tragedy that's taking place, that's taken place and is going to take place. Um, there is a lot, I mean, believe me that the people in Israel are asking those same questions. Okay. Oh, I know. Especially people whose, you know, uh, families were decimated. How could their <clears throat> country have allowed this to happen? And there's a lot of information coming out um, about, the different uh, lapses and failures and and how it could have happened. And there are, you know, different theories going around, like there was actually a group inside Israel uh, that, you know, um, helped to, uh, you know, these are just, you know, that that part of the theory is a theory, but there's been sort of a a sort of uh, publicized analysis of the, the string of failures that occurred uh, to allow for this attack to, to take place. And I know there are a lot of theories going around about, 
you know, if there were people within Israel and the government that were complicit with this. Um, and all I would say is that at some level, it doesn't matter at the level of human suffering and tragedy. It doesn't matter because those people did those, those people were killed mercilessly and, uh, and it's just tragic. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is like, so I, I think I look at Hamas and I go, they must have known that when they do this, there's going to be a reaction. They knew that. The leadership knew that. They knew that based on past events, Israel was going to level Gaza and lots of innocent people would die. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? That's not well, normal. I'm worried because I want to take a you know perspective of you know, there's some kind of who benefits and what is the larger picture here, you know. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the world is a, is a powder keg. The region here is a powder keg. We've seen with these demonstrations, mass demonstrations in various countries, especially with people calling to gas the Jews and kill the Jews. And, and you know, uh, I don't know if you, if you recall, in 2021, there was another uh, breakout of fighting between Gaza and Israel. And within Israel, there was a, a very tense few weeks of a lot of violence between, you know, Jewish Israelis and Arab Israelis, um, you know, kind of really giving the sense that, th that we could break out into some kind of civil conflict. Um, so I'm just worried that somebody's, you know, this is the spark that is going to set off some kind of global conflagration. Yeah, well, it, I'm worried it, it about worries that. Me. Yeah, I think and that maybe, you know, if you're wondering what, why would Hamas do that? Well, if there are people in the background pulling Hamas's strings, then that may but be, you know, goal. what? I don't know. You know I realized all day long, Josh, but there's people all day long, but just two days ago, what, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, but there's people always pulling strings on both sides, like Hamas is funded and, um, you know, by Britain, was supported by Israel. It's part of the Muslim Brotherhood, who was formed by MI6. You know, these aren't good people. And as an ex-Muslim, I can tell you right now, I know a lot of Muslims who do not recognize that branch of Islam, and they were promoted by the West. And um, it's complicated, just like the Israelis aren't a homogenous group. There's lots of different factions and beliefs and opinions. It's the same with the Palestinians. They've, they've got lots of different opinions. and They're not just a homogenous group. They're not Hamas. They're not all Hamas. And I think, I think you're right. I think Israel's almost like Palestine. Israel's just like deliberately just created as a powder keg to just kick off any time. And you need to take into context history and that's not to take away the recent events and say something criminal and horrible didn't happen. Of course it did. But you, we need to look at the history. I mean, they're occupied territories for a reason. They're occupied. If you, if you were in, in Germany or Britain, if Britain was occupied by the Chinese, there'd be people who'd be resisting and fighting. The Chinese might call them terrorists. The British might call them freedom fighters. It's all, it's all context. But the reality is, 
man, they just need to learn to live together. And that's what it's all about. I've been very, I've been very critical in my life um, about. I mean, I've been very critical about many of Israel's policies, um, especially in the occupied territories. And um, but um, I don't. I kind of. My view is that what happened last week has no has no. I don't. I'm not. I'm not I don't want to. I don't want to imply that you're trying to justify it in some way. But I'm not. It's not part of resistance. It's. it's you know. I th- That's why I said it's madness. It's, it's, That's it's. It was not. It was not I was something. Jump the shark. I call it a jump the shark moment for the Palestinian resistance, which is where it would have been a moment where you'd think that people would stay, step back and say, whoa, we've taken things too far. But instead, people are just cheering it on. And it makes me sad for mm. humanity to see that yeah. so many people are cheering this on. And Josh, I'm, I'm not Israel, I'm 100%, 100% not justifying it. Look. If you're fighting, you know, an occupying force and the soldiers, I, I can get that. But not innocents, not babies, not children, not mothers, not not innocent boys and girls, not people at a rave. No, not at all. And But the flip side is also true. You know, just because they're bad people on the other side doesn't mean you go bomb every building and if there's collateral go, ah, well, they're, they're shielding them. I'll give you an example. Dave Smith, the comedian, did a, did a podcast. He gave a really good analogy. You're a good guy. You got a bad guy in the sights, and that bad guy is using their child as a shield. You don't just shoot the child and go, "Yeah, well, they were doing that. It's their fault. I'm going to kill the kid anyway because they were they were in the way to get the baddie." That makes you just as much a baddie. And I just feel like there's too much bloodlust. There's too much emotion and rage and anger on both sides, and. What you really need is empathy and you need to put, it's hard. This is hard when it's raw and emotional. It's about stepping back and trying to think, what is it like in the mind of the other side? And I'm trying to think like an Israeli and a Palestinian. And I feel the pain of both of them. And it makes me sad because there's, there's so much they share in common. Like all of us in humanity, we have so much in common. I feel like, there's people out there who are deliberately pulling strings and manipulating. We've been manipulated. I mean, one thing COVID has taught us, we, we, are, we are easily manipulated, riled up right, to fight each other, get angry. And who does, it, who does it benefit? Not us. It's the people at the top. They're, like, they're the ones who profit from it. And it's desperately sad. Anyway, I love you, brother. But listen... I wish people would just have a conversation like this rather than get really angry and, you know, start pointing, naming fingers. I mean, the thing is that I've made some kind of balanced comments for both sides. I've been attacked from both sides. Oh, you Jew sympathizer. Oh, you Hamas terrorist sympathizer. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. I think that what you want to happen is something that never was and never will be, and that is that you, what, what the situation, presumably to resolve the situation, you would need to have people <clears throat> essentially agree that the lives of 
their own children and their own families are not worth trying to protect. Um, and, or that the lives of other people's children are somehow equally valuable to their own children, which in some kind of philosophical sense, maybe, you know, one could maybe agree to, but in the reality of the situation, um, it, that just will never happen. I mean, I don't have any hope that this Palestinian-Israeli conflict will have reach any resolution in our lifetimes and probably not our children's lifetimes, if ever. I think it will. Um, I think it will. And I think all life is just as precious. And I don't think I deserve my life and my family's life to be more important than someone else's. I think all of humanity and all human beings' life should be, you know, just as equal. And we should love our neighbor. And that's, that's, that's what it's all about. And I don't know, call me an optimist, call me, call me a hippie, a hippie without hair. <laughs> anyway, we were going to talk about, you discovered something. Did you discover it, this bait and switch business? Um, I wouldn't say I discovered it, but um, I've definitely done a lot of work trying to bring it to people's consciousness. And there are certain aspects of it that I, you know, that I that I have uh, uncovered that hadn't been uncovered before. Can definitely. you just like break it down? Like, I think in my head, I've got a rough idea what what the bait and switch business is about. But for just treat me like a simpleton, break it down. What is it, and and what is it that you in, uncovered in greater detail and I'll just shiver <laughs> um, no I'm sorry it's just our, our conversation up till now just kind of threw me for a threw me for a, a loop trying to sorry, uh, think buddy. about all those things um, it's very personal you know it's very it's very difficult to describe uh, the, the feeling here and um, uh, anyway um, you know what? Take just, a moment then. You Take a moment. Make... Take a moment and tell me. Tell me what it's feeling like. No, I don't. Yeah, okay. Well, I just, you know, I want to make it clear that um, I, I want to make it perfectly clear that I condemn completely um, the actions of the Hamas terrorists in the South. Um, <clears throat> of Israel week. And, uh, despite my desire for humanity to live, um, you know, in peace and harmony, um, I don't see, I don't see a way forward for that at this present moment. Um, and I, you know, that's all, I, that's all I want to say. Do you not think, um, okay. Do you not think Maintenance when, what? I was going to say, do you not think when, when emotions are raw, though, and you know, it must be scary, it must be shocking, you feel vulnerable. Like when someone comes and burgles your house, you feel violated. You know, here you yeah, are, yeah, yeah. you think your, your yeah, country exactly. is safe, you think you're safe, you can walk around and mm -hmm. go anywhere, and suddenly you're violated. Suddenly what you thought was safe, you realize isn't safe. It's terrifying, scary. That's not nice. Living like that's not nice. And then 
And this, and you're right. And and that's why it's horrible what you're going through. And I don't know because I, I'm I'm sitting here and it's all sun sun is out actually, even though it's freezing. But it's the same then flip side. The Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza, the IDF does incursions, raids people's homes, pulls out kids, incarcerates them without any due process. It's terrifying from them. They're they're traumatized people. Traumatized. And this is where empathy comes in, where we need to understand the opposite sides. People need to hear your story. People need to hear why you're upset, why you feel violated. People need to understand how it must be horrible for Israelis. And that's why I have so much sympathy for you guys. Like living in a military kind of almost state where you all have to go as conscripts and you're told you're surrounded by enemies everywhere. As a psyche, that's horrible. What a stressful state. It must always be. You've got your iron domes. You've got the terrorists frothing to kill you all. That's a horrible way to live. Horrible. And that's the same on the other side. It's horrible to be occupied. And, I'm, and all I try and do is try and understand both sides and the pain. I think the more you understand the sides, everybody's story, and you start putting yourself in the enemies, if that's where you want to think of it, as their head, because they're human beings too. Then that's when people can start resolving and understanding there's always a way towards peace. But when it's just anger and other, the others, they're not the same as us. They're evil. They're bad. They're just inherently hate us. This is COVID narrative all over again. And it's not like that. It's more nuanced. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I, I understand. I understand what, you, what you're trying to say. I, I would say that your, your nuance may, may need more nuance as well, because <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard for me to articulate this. Um, there are okay let's say that we humans can be molded okay and the way in which humans in gaza some humans in gaza have been molded through various various ways from various you know life circumstances and indoctrination and, and, and and all of that um doesn't look um doesn't seem like we have a common humanity. Um, I don't think that I don't I, I can't I I I don't want to I, I don't think there's any Israeli there that would cons, that would do the you know the types of of unspeakable things that uh, were done uh, to them. Uh, you know, earlier, earlier, last week. Um, does that mean that everybody in Gaza deserves to die? No. No, it doesn't. Um, but there, there <laughs> I think, you know, and people can become so extreme and so dehumanizing on both sides, 
that peace becomes kumbaya. This kumbaya moment becomes, you know, this kumbaya dream becomes fantasy. Uh, I don't know. I disagree. I disagree. If you look at the last 70 years and the proportion of Palestinians who've died and been killed and injured is 50, 60, 100 times more than any Israeli. And if you speak to them and ask them how they feel about losing their son and daughter, they'd say, you know, pretty much what you're saying, how brutal they are. I've seen videos of children being beaten up and shot, arms broken. I've seen Jewish, you know, citizens in in the settlements boasting about killing every Palestinian and Arab. The best Arab is a dead Arab. It's both sides. I've seen Palestinians saying, we need to kill the Jews, they're the enemy. I've seen the same thing, just changing words on both sides. And that needs to stop. And, and, and to say it's one group of people and they're, they just hate us, I've, I've seen it on both sides. And both sides get riled up and, and start pointing fingers. And there's no difference. It's the same language they're using. And we need to just stop that. And it starts with stopping violence. I, I agree. I think there's a very harmful dehumanization that takes place on both sides. And that's what allows, ultimately, that's what allows other people to treat, you know, people to treat other people inhumanely. Yeah. Uh, and it's, but every time it happens, it just pushes people more further apart and creates more dehumanization. It's just sort of a self-fulfilling, so I would say cycle. It comes from the leaderships. The leaderships don't want peace. The leadership in Hamas, they're living in their mafia-style houses. The, 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 you know, the, the leadership in, in, of Hamas, they don't care about their people. They clearly didn't care about their people. Because if they did, they would never have done what they did. Because they knew exactly what would the consequences be. All right? They're sick. They're yeah, not I good think, people. Equally, I don't think the leadership in Israel is great. You know, I don't think they really, he really cute. He, that guy, Netanyahu, you know, if, if I was at the head, the helm, when this happened, I would have resigned in shame. But he was on those back ropes. Absolutely. He was on the ropes. There was protests against him. He was bringing in draconian rules and laws. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have liberty in Israel anymore. And guess what? This guy who's on the ropes, who clings to power like a crazy person. I mean, what is his issue? Now suddenly he's a war prime minister. And instead of answering questions like, hey, buddy, where the hell were you on, on your watch when this massacre happened? No one's allowed to question. Back in power. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is, dude, it's just, this is what I mean by it's nuanced. The common man, that Palestinian father, that video that I saw today, carrying his limp two-year-old daughter who's dead, and all he was doing was sitting in his house when a bomb went off. You know, he's an innocent. All the relatives, I know people whose relatives have died in Israel, they were innocent. It's their leadership. They're the scum. And they actually often work together. That's the funny thing. They work together. Like, they're the evil ones. And I think the whole point is we need to pull back, take away the rage and the anger, and realize who the real enemy is. And it's the people at the top. And on both sides. Because actually they're the same side. Anyway, we're really digressing. 
I just want to say, I love you, man. I love, I love all you guys. You know, I got, I got Muslim friends. I don't think I have any Palestinian friends. I have a lot of Jewish friends. I love all you guys. It just makes my heart like so sad seeing the shit going on. It's suffering. Everything that's going on. It really is. You know, I, I feel nothing but sadness and empathy for the, for that child that you described and his father. Uh, it's just horrible. And, um, yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on, brother. Yeah. So the bait and switch is that uh, in uh, the Pfizer, we're talking about the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Okay. Okay. So the bottom line is that the the vaccine that was, um, the the vaccine that was tested in their big clinical trial where they injected some 22,000 people with the vaccine, and there are problems with the trial. We can get into that if you want. That vaccine that they gave to those subjects was not the same vaccine that everybody in the world, you know, billions of people in the world were injected with. And that's the bottom line of this bait and switch. Uh, when did it happen? How did it happen? What are the implications of that? Um, so I, a lot of what I've been doing is trying to um, uncover that and, and, and try to see you know, uh, what are the possible implications? So on October 2020, early October, um, Pfizer updated its research protocol for its big clinical trial, which was already sort of like ha- more than halfway done at that point. They said, we have this new manufacturing process. We need a new manufacturing process because the one that we use so far is too small scale. If we want to upscale our process to allow for more people, you know, to be able to make enough vaccines for billions of people, um, we need to do it a different way. And it's a, it's a very different manufacturing process. So I'll talk a little bit about the details of that. But they said in there, so they updated their protocol and they said, okay, we are going to test about 250 people ages 16 to 55. They weren't going to check, they weren't going to do this for older people, but ages 16 to 55, we're going to take 250 people and test them with this new vaccine. We're going to take 250 people per lot, what they called process two. Process two was the new process. Process one was the, uh, was the process that they used to make all of the vaccines for the clinical trial. Okay. So they didn't say how many lots they were going to test. Um, we know from documents that were um, part of this email hack at the EMA in late 2020 um, that they told the regulators that they were not going to have the results of that study before the emergency use authorization was supposed to be requested and approved. Okay, so the regulators knew about this. Wow. In fact, the regulators... Oh yeah, they knew about this. In fact, they they there there are many um, things in these regulatory documents, um, and not just as part of the EMA league. There are other documents out there that show that the reg like they the regulators were requesting um, 
lots and lots of analytical comparisons between the two types of manufacturing processes. Okay, analytical comparisons means, okay, we want to know, for example, what percent of the mRNA in the new uh, vaccine manufacturing process comes out uh, intact compared to the previous version, right? Um, what's the mix of different uh, liquid nanoparticles that comes out and there, you know, how much DNA remains in the new, the new vaccines versus the old vaccines, all this other stuff, okay? But two things they did not ask about are they did not ask for any animal, like comparisons with animal tests. They didn't ask for any preclinical studies. So they didn't say, okay, you've completely changed your manufacturing method. Um, using and we're we're talking about a technology that is extremely new, right? I mean, there were maybe a prior to that a thousand people who had in, you know been part of gene therapy trials involving mRNA technology or something like that. It, it, you know, so it's a very new technology. We're, you're manufacturing this way that you've never tested, and we're not going to require you to do any animal studies. And as far as we know, they didn't actually require. Pfizer to uh, do any human studies. Pfizer said they were going to do some human studies, but not not before the emergency use, author, use authorization. It turns out Pfizer never did that study, never did that comparison. Um, they did inject people about. So one of the things that I, that I you know going through the clinical trial data that we now have access to. And looking at, okay, how many people actually did get this process to in the clinical trial? So there are 22,000 plus people who got injected with the treatment, you know, with the vaccine. Out of them, 252, only 252 of them were given doses from this new manufacturing method. Um, and they only tested one lot in the study. And this has now been confirmed by a team working independently at the Daily Cloud. Found another another way to identify these subjects. Anyway, um, so what is what are the differences between these two manufacturing methods, and, and why you know why why should we care? Okay, so the basic, I mean, the, the key difference is that the new manufacturing method. Okay, you want to make mRNA. How do you do that? You need to have a DNA sort of blueprint for making the DNA, okay? Making yeah. the, the mRNA, okay? And so how do you make that? How do you make, you need a lot of, you need a lot of blueprints, right? Or, um, I don't know, um, yeah. that's another metaphor. Template. You need a lot of them, right? Template, exactly. Thank you. That's the word I was looking so how do you make them? Well, the old process, they use PCR to just kind of duplicate DNA, strands of DNA. The new process, they use bacteria. They use E. coli bacteria. They, and specifically, they use this thing called a plasmid inside the bacteria, which is like this piece of circular DNA, which they basically, you know, made it to be the mRNA template for the uh, spike protein. Plus, they had some other things in it, which are prob potentially problematic. And then they just basically, you know, grow the bacteria. The bacteria duplicates and the plasmids duplicate, and eventually you get a lot of this DNA template. Okay. Why are they growing it in, by the so, way? What's the medium? Some kind of culture. You know what? I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, that's a good question. 
Because um, E. coli is normally associated Look, with I'm poop. Not, I'm not as like an expert on <clears throat> the exact manufacturing methods. I've listened to a lot of experts. I've consulted with experts. Um, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on what the key differences are, but that question I can't answer. What, what were you asking? No, it's just E. coli is like a poop bug. You find it in your poop. Um, so, yeah. Right. Well, now we're calling them, uh, you know, we're, trying, we're calling them poo, the poo jabs. <laughs> you heard that one? Poo jabs? No, I didn't. Uh, no, okay. But I like my joke is like, have you ever seen that movie, The Court Jester? No. Uh, with Danny Kaye from the 50s. Well, maybe some of your viewers have. There's a funny bit in there. So my, my joke is that the, the process number one was the vials from the trial. Process number two is the is the um, jab with the poo. You know, whatever. Right. Anyway. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, you won't get the joke. It's, it's um, <clears throat> yeah, it's and it, well, one of the problems. Okay, so there are two major problems with using the bacteria, the bacteria method, or potential problems. One is that the plasmid, once you have it, once you've created the mRNA off of it, you have to get rid of that. You have to get rid of the DNA. You can't inject people with mRNA and DNA. Okay, so. Yeah. The, but the the ways the but now what we know and this was discovered in January of this year and has been replicated in numerous labs is that there are actually high levels of DNA residual DNA uh, in the not just in the Pfizer jabs by the way Moderna uses a similar type of manufacturing process so there's there's high levels of residual DNA now in the analytical comparisons that Pfizer was showing to the EMA, um, they showed that there was some residual DNA, but what they said is that it's below the regulatory limit, okay? But there are two problems, with at least two problems with that. One is that the regulatory limits were created for a different type of technology. So once you've encased something in the liquid nanoparticle, the body doesn't have the same can't mount the same defenses and can't get rid of DNA, you know, randomly floating around in your bloodstream the same way that it can if you don't have, you know, so you, yeah. you, you can't attack it and get rid of it in the way or protect itself from it in the way that it can if you don't have it wrapped in liquid nanoparticles. So the measurement of how much DNA is in is, is, is kind of irrelevant, bless you. Thank you. Okay. Or out, let's say out, outdated. All right. So that's one thing. The other thing is that Pfizer used a particular method for track for measuring the level of DNA, which doesn't measure small strands of DNA. And what these scientists have found now is that a lot of the residual DNA has been chopped up into small sequences. And so it's not you don't find it with the method that Pfizer used and showed that they showed that, you know, the uh, <clears throat> the regulators, well, look, we don't have a lot of, we don't really have that much residual DNA. Well, that's because of the method that you chose conveniently uh, ignores a lot of the residual DNA or won't, doesn't pick up a lot of the residual DNA. Okay. Um, the second big problem with using the bacteria is um, that the membranes of E. coli bacteria 
okay, called lipopolysaccharides. And these are highly inflammatory. And the, the, the other term for them is, is endotox. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. Um, and this, these can be to many, many of the different adverse events that uh, people have experienced. And you can see this if you look at some of the some differences um, between the adverse event rates for certain things between the clinical trials and then after the clinical trial. So, for example, um, a recent paper in Science Advances showed, mm. I believe it was something like a 7%. I mean, it depends exactly. They have different... <laughs> They have some different figures in the paper. It depends exactly what number, but I think that the, the most relevant number would be a 7% number to use. They, they looked at women who were not menstruating for various reasons. Most of them were on some kind of birth control, uh, like an IUD. And they said, well, what is, how many of them reported bleeding after getting vaccinated with an mRNA jab? Uh, uh, no, maybe it was just Pfizer. No, I don't remember. But um, and it was about 7% said within a month of getting uh, vaccinated, they had some uh, unexpected bleeding, vaginal bleeding. Okay? Now, we know that th this was being reported Im almost immediately after the jabs were rolled out. Many, many women were reporting this. They were mostly being ignored. I remember an article, I think it was in February 2021, um, in uh, an Israeli newspaper where they were saying, well, a lot of women are reporting this, but um, we pro it's probably related to stress, right? Because we know how hysterical women can be. Um, I don't know why getting vaccinated would be stressful. I mean, most people found it to be a, an enormous relief. But in any case, um, they said, well, but we'll look into it. However, we didn't see it in the clinical trials, so there's no reason to suspect that it was caused by the vaccine. Well, that's because the cl clinical trial was done with a different product. It was done with a different product, a different vaccine. And this one has high, um, higher levels of endotoxin um, than the clinical uh, batches. And in the, you know, in these analytical comparisons, you can see that they measured higher levels of endotoxin. However, they said it's not above regulatory limits. Again, if you have endotoxin, that is encapsulated in the liquid nanoparticles, it won't be measured. Just like the DNA also in the liquid nanoparticles won't be measured by these methods. Oh, so God. it'll be missed. Mm -hmm. um, and the, so the measurement, the way in which they measured it is extremely um, unreliable. And we don't really know how much endotoxin is. So can I, let's go back. Can I just interject? I got, I, can I quickly yeah, just interject? So, isn't it also the case that not only it's not being measured if it's in the LMPs, but if if you put these endotoxins within LMPs into the body and the DNA in the LMPs, the body immune system can't identify and get rid of them as it should do normally. So it's going to end up in your cells and cause havoc, isn't it? Yes. It not only can it not get rid of it or deal with it as it normally would. But as you, not only will it end up in the cells, it's, it's designed to end up in the cells because it's in the LMP, which is designed to transfect into cell, right? So who knows what additional toxicities could be. Uh, we know that there are many different 
um, aspects of the DNA uh, template that are, and also the LNP technology itself um, that uh, amplify nuclear localization, meaning that um, they basically have, so, uh, there's something about them that sort of <laughs> drives them into or tracks them to the nucleus of the cell, which then will increase the risk of some kind of integration into the DNA, which can cause all kinds of problems, including cancers and, and who knows who knows what else. Did you know that the, the, the Furin cleavage site itself is a nuclear localization signal? So this was yeah. the thing that there was added, you know, the, you know, um, added in the lab. One of the aspects of the <clears throat> spike protein that was you know, added in the in the lab, and that just happens to be a, a something that will drive the 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 spike protein into the nucleus. And I and I also know that they added the SV forty, and so you've got this thing that just promotes growth. And multiplication, and oh, it's just a, it's a shit show. It's an absolute shit show. Can we just wrap yeah, up a bit, though? So, listen, right. you know, the original Pfizer study. I wanted to, I, I got off track with the menstruation. Can I just finish that point? Yeah, 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 of course. Okay, thanks. So, the paper shows, let's say, 7% menstrual bleeding, uh, unexpected menstrual bleeding. You know how many were. What the percentage in the trial that was reported was 0.7%, right? So how oh. do you go from 0.7% to 7%? Yeah. How do, you, how do you do that? Well, you do that when the product that you're – either you're doing a terrible – either you're hiding the adverse events, you're doing a terrible job capturing them, or – and or you're using a totally different product, you know, that you're giving to people. And you didn't, nobody, nobody told anybody about this, right? There was no, nobody was informed about this. So there's no uh, informed consent. Beans. You're not getting the product that was advertised on the packet. Exactly. So I had Headley exactly. Reese on my podcast. It's just come out today, by the way. Okay. Have you heard of him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Headley Reese talks about, yeah, he talks about supply chain and he broke down. We we I got a really good compliment. He messaged me this morning and said that's the best interview podcast I've ever given. I was like, oh, thanks, man. So basically, he explains how drugs are developed, designed, trialed, produced, regulated, and then manufactured. And and he said how even if you tweak one thing in the manufacturing process as you upscale, because it's one thing making something in small batches for like 10, 20, 100 you know, dosages. But if you're starting to roll out millions, you need to prove, you need proof of concept. You need to prove then that the quality of this drug is the same and efficacy. You need to go through all the trials and studies and animal testing and all the things you talked about, toxicity, drug clearance, biodistribution, all that kind of jazz. And he goes, this never happened with these two different processes. He goes, they sold us everything on this you know, one lot of manufacturing process, but the one that was given to the billions of people around the world, they never did any of these testings. And he said, it's fundamentally wrong. He goes, what the hell happened? Like the regulatory bodies, what were they doing? Were they sleeping? Did they just look the other way? What the hell did happen? No, they were, they were fully aware. They were fully aware of what was happening. 
You know, I, I, I've been talking about this issue for a while, and I said, you know, one of the things, and maybe I think I heard it from Headley first, was this idea that the, the process is the product, right? In biologics, especially, where you're, uh, you know, working with these large uh, molecules and complicated biochemical processes, you and and it, it was learned. Uh, early on with the polio vaccine, when they rolled it out and they didn't give the manufacturers good instructions on how to make it, and they ended up giving, you know, 200,000 kids polio temporarily, um, killing some. Some had permanent polio. Anyway, uh, and you could, you, there are other examples of this. By the way, you know, the H H1N1 vaccine, the swine flu vaccine in 2009 was a similar yeah. situation where they did not test what was given. They gave, they tested one thing and gave the population something else. But at least in that case, there was, there at least in the UK, there was a notification about that. I mean, I don't think anybody was really paying attention, but the, at least the public health agencies warned the public about that, notified the public about that, but not in this case. In this case, they basically asserted that what people were getting was what had been tested, and that simply wasn't true. Why, though? Um, what's happened? What what's changed? Well, you know, um, I don't change since when. I guess is a good question. Since before COVID, ah, when they would have done all of these other tests and that sort of thing. Well, I think. Um, I mean, how how conspiratorial do you want to get? Really, is my question at this point. I mean, you could say let's let's start with the most generous explanation, which is that. The regulators felt pressured to get this vaccine out as quickly as possible, and they were willing to cut corners that in a normal in a normal situation they wouldn't cut. So let's say that's that's what happened. The problem is that they haven't gone back now and tested and demanded more rigorous studies. And in fact, in September 2022, Pfizer uh revised their protocol again and they took out the thing where they were going to do this comparison study with just you know whatever 250 people per lot or whatever so we don't need to do that and they told the, the regulator the the mhra this came out from a uh, freedom of information act request recently they told the regulator well we don't need to do this anymore even though they had promised it already like early 2021 they said we don't need to do this anymore because we've given the jabs to so many people we see that they're safe which of course is complete nonsense. We know that they're not safe. Even the, you know, I don't know how much time we have. I could talk with you about the CDC's cover-up of their safety signal analysis. But so, so basically now we have this new technology that is going to be rolled out. They're going to turn all of the vaccinations, not only are they going to turn all the existing vaccinations into mRNA as much as possible, they're going to now have tons of hundreds of new gene therapies and back, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that they're going to start rolling out to people. And all of them are going to look back and they're going to say, well, look, we did this. We, oh, and they're already doing this, by the way, with all of the new, you know, um, boosters and everything. They say, well, we already did this trial. We, we saw that we saw in that trial, it was safe. We don't need to do another one. We already did it, except that that was a different, it's a different product. You did it on a totally different product. So. Um, 
Can I go back? I guess I don't Can really I go have... back? Yeah, yeah, Josh, so mm-hmm. even the first original Pfizer study was so fundamentally flawed. They gave the placebo group the vaccine, which makes the whole study null and void, starting off with that. The actual um, success was so overinflated, they were using relative risk re- reduction, not absolute risk reduction. They, they covered up the fact that you know there were people in the vaccinated group that had died. I think there was a few heart attacks or something. Several people died. I mean, it was like, it was not a good product even then <laughs> with, with the clean PCR. I agree with you. I agree with you, and I don't want to suggest that, I don't want to suggest that, <clears throat> you know, that it was, that it would be fine if it weren't for this new manufacturing process. There are many problems inherent with the technology, the way in which it, uh, you know, hones the immune system to kill the body's own tissue, yeah. um, being one major example. Um, and many people have written about this. So I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that there's, you know, it's com- you know, if only they had, go, had used that that process one, we'd all be fine. I don't. I don't mean to suggest that. Yeah, um, I, just I know. Mean I know. Even worse. Right? Exactly. And, and when I, you know, what is it? Switch. A bait and switch is when you advertise one product, customer comes in, and you say, "Oh, we're well, we're out of that, but we have this other one that's just as good and just as this, but it's not just as good, and it, you know, it's more profitable." And the only the real the real difference here is that they didn't tell the customer that they were doing the switch. Absolutely. So you've got a crap product, which you've sold really badly and lied about. And then you don't even give that crap product, which you're like showing in front of the customer. You then give an even crapper product, even worse. And you don't tell yeah. the customer. You yeah. know, I mean, talk about a right. double hoodwink. Talk about an ultimate scam. Yeah. And you're right. There's no informed consent because all the people like me, and all the other people, probably like you, who said this is experimental, we were told we were conspiratorial and quacks. Well, God damn it, if this doesn't sound experimental, I don't know what is. Um, we said there was no long-term safety data. Yeah, we were told, no, no, that's conspiratorial. You're quacks for saying that. How dare you? That's misinformation. Yeah, like where the hell is the long-term safety data? There's nothing. And then you're lying. It will never be. They they injected the placebo group with the vaccine then. Yeah. And they were in a so, real hurry. They were in a real hurry to inject the, the placebo group. I know, you right? Know, the, 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 average, the average person was in the trial for like a little over three months before they started giving the placebo group the vaccine. And it's interesting because when there are discussions with the FDA and the other regulators about this, they said, okay, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the people in the placebo group that it would be unethical to, they said, it would be unethical to withhold the vaccine from them if they can get it in their home country. And so what they initially said and agreed on was that they were going to tell the placebo group that, okay, when it's ready for your age group in your country, you go ahead and get it. But then what actually happened was they sped it up and they called everybody in and they said, come in and get your vaccine. And they gave it to them themselves. Many, uh, in many cases, far ahead of when people in their, their country or their age would have been able to get the actual vaccine. But this is the age of inversion and clown world. 
And this is why everything I see in the world today, I do not trust. So for example, if I, I was involved in trials as a surgeon, you know, some patients got surgery, some people didn't. And the whole point is to compare like which group does better. The, I, the whole point is you take these, pay, you, you do these studies and you take them to the ethics committee and you say, look, we will have to get ethics approval, ethics approval. We're going to have a comparative group where we're going to compare and see like, does the no surgical group do fare any better? And that's ethical. That's how you know whether something works or not. I mean, there's no point saying you're going to do a study and everybody gets an operation. How do you know? How can you compare? There's, there's no way of knowing. You need to contrast, compare and contrast. That's what's ethical. And they turned it on its head and said, it's the ethical to do for everyone to get the mRNA jab. And you're like, what? That doesn't right. even make sense. The ethics is to know right. whether there is a true difference and watch over a year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, because that's how long it takes sometimes. And they were like, no, the ethical thing is we give everyone well, a shot. Yeah. Oh. The regulators are completely captured by industry. I mean, and they, they're not that quiet about it, right? In early 2022, uh, June Rain, the head of the MHRA, gave a talk where she said, we're going to <laughs> from regular from reg well, I forget what it was exactly, but basically it was like from regulator to enabler. Yeah, right. they were going to be. They wanted. It's generally not the kind of thing you want to hear from your <laughs> your watchdog that you're going to enable. You know, it's like we're not going to guard the wolf. You know, the the fox. Uh, we're not going to guard the chickens from the fox. We're going to enable the fox. Yeah, be an enabler. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's so, absurd. Like they're. She was proud of this. It is mental. So coming back to my friend, Benny, Benny Netanyahu. He's the guy that proudly said to the Pfizer boss, I'm going to make Israel a lab, a little Petri dish. This man put the lives and the safety of all the Israelis, not very many of you guys, at risk and at harm your future, your reproductive health. This is what I mean by we've taken the eye off the ball. This man doesn't care about the average Israeli or Jew. He's a scumbag. He cares about himself and power, and he will sacrifice his own people to maintain his power. And this is what I mean by I don't trust that scumbag as far as I could throw him. The fact when he, when I heard him say that, I was in shock. I was like, are you serious? Right. You're going to make your country, your people, an experiment? I mean, why people are not up in arms about that? And now he's parading himself as a war prime minister and he's going to vanquish the evil ones. It's the inverted world. Know your enemy. And the problem is the enemy is very good at manipulating us into thinking, yeah. Look, squirrel, that's your enemy. <laughs> Actually, a lot closer to home sometimes. I mean, so what's happening now? How do we keep, how do we hold these manufacturers to account? How do we get the regulators? Is anything happening? Because I'm a bit worried because I saw something in the Haaretz about some minister saying, if anyone says anything to get the morale of the nation, the, the police can come in and arrest you. I mean, that's a, I mean, they're, they're introducing, it's always in war term. It's always in wartime in crisis. You know, you bring in these 
these draconian laws that strip away your liberty. Today, it's a Gaza conflict. You know, if you say something tomorrow, what if you question the vaccines, you're you're lowering the morale, you're going to get locked up. I mean, while What's you're in danger, already, they've already, you know, made uh, very great strides to criminalizing, uh, you know, any kind of statement that calls into question the dictates of uh, public health authorities. Because, well, you're you're endangering public health. You're endangering people's health by giving them information that's going to harm them. Uh, you know, the analogy is, well, you're, you're, you're allowed to speak your mind. You know, you have freedom of speech, but you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. So you can't have speech that's going to harm people. I mean, it's not, a, it's a, <laughs> the analogy doesn't hold. And one of the main reasons it doesn't hold is because you, you no, but there is no arbiter of truth, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, medications and health and that sort of thing. There is nobody who knows. You know, I can say whether there was or was not. A, I can say whether it's true that it is either true or not true that there was a fire in a theater. I can't say it's true or not true that it's good to get vaccinated. It's good to do this, to do that. Um, in general, I mean, people's speech shouldn't be infringed on in any event. But um, yeah, it's a problem now in Israel. They're starting that. Well, there are other now. There are also calls to clamp down on people's uh, freedom to express their opinions on um, Gaza and, and Israel um, from the other side of people that I think are wrong, who are um, cheering on uh, what Hamas did. I think they should be allowed to speak their mind. But now now we're seeing, now it's going to come down, you know, we're going to see another clamp down on freedom of speech. In Israel, that, that minister that you mentioned, it's a proposal for a law. It hasn't passed yet, but it's a sign of the times. And it's the same here. It's a, it's the same in the UK. Yeah, they've just passed the online safety bill. Like who who determines what's safe? Like yeah. you know, I might think it's safe, and you might say that's not safe. But like, so who's right? right. You know, it's like this is how freedom of speech gets stripped away. It's a huge problem, and now you know. Um, now we have AI and all of this technology that's sort of aiding and, and um, that type of clampdown on freedom of speech, going through social networks and deleting posts and silencing people. I mean, it's dystopian, and I think we we take it for granted. We still take it for granted. Here we are chatting about this. Five years from now, this might this conversation might be criminal. I mean, it's gotten, it is, that is where things are headed. That is where things are headed. Our descent, you know, we, we, we enjoy it, but to some extent we've been taking it for granted. And I don't think we should because there's no sign that anybody up there is letting up. They're not taking the foot off the gas. If anything, it looks like they're putting, you know, they're, they're putting the pedal to the metal, um, yeah. and accelerating things. So you ever. Have you ever read 1984? Sure. But, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's all about the bad enemy abroad. And in the meantime, Big Brother, the state, can be the authoritarian jackboot on your skull to justify, right. you know, fighting the enemy, the unseen enemy, the enemy abroad. 
and it's it's like every day your 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 liberty gets stripped away, your freedoms get taken away, your quality of life gets taken away. Right. But it's justified for the greater good and because of that horrible, nasty enemy outside. And this is why I don't want to play into this whole Hamas, Israel, Palestine, Jew nonsense because we are being played on an epic freaking scale. And it's like the BLM, the genders, the age, the sexies. I mean, brown, white, this, that. You know, I'm telling you right now, they are constantly striving to stoke division and hatred. And while we're fighting at each other, we don't see what's actually happening. Because mark my words, during this whole fiasco, secretly, stealthily, more of our freedoms will be taken away. And we wake up one day and go, what happened? What happened? Absolutely. Listen. I've said many times that we are ruled through fear and hatred. And whenever the people up there want us to feel fear, fear and hatred, especially towards one another, we need to do what we can to, to say, no, I refuse. I refuse to be afraid and I refuse to hate. Amen. It's very, can be very difficult. It's hard, hundred percent. It's it's a very difficult. It's 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 very hard to rise to that. It's I always say it's very hard to be good. It's easy to be bad and evil. You know, there's a reason why you get blessed and for doing a good thing because it's not easy. The easy option is the path to the devil. That's easy. Just give in to your base instincts. Give in to instant gratification. Get angry. Don't think. Selfishness. It's harder to be patient, to be calm, to be kind, and, and you know, to think of someone else's suffering and have empathy. That's not easy. That's why it's the right thing. Anyway, it's really funny. Um, normally, my podcasts, I normally like, oh, God, I, get, I have so many, like, stacked up. And I, I, I post it like, you know, like 10 days to 14 days after. I actually think I'm going to jump you now straight into my next podcast. I'll upload it tonight because <laughs> I think it fits in really nicely with what Headley Reese was talking about. And now what you're, you know, you, cause when I, when I was asking about, I did ask him about bait and switch and he's like, I don't really know the technical aspects of that, but you've, you've really put that jigsaw piece puzzle into that frame and I'm really happy. So I'm, I'm going to upload this. Okay, I want to add, add another little piece to that puzzle that I didn't get yeah? a chance to talk about earlier because it's Dude, something that, I, that I've looked at. Um, I, so basically they said there were, Pfizer said, okay, well, look, we're going to take these 250 people and we're going to compare them to 250 people from the study that got the clinical doses, right? The process one dose. Well, <laughs> they never did that, but, but we have the data. So I, I did that comparison. Well, something similar. I compared the rate of adverse events of those 250 people to all of the other treatment subjects. And the rate of adverse events is about two and a half times greater. Um, the Daily Cloud team did something similar. They compared the, the, the treatment group to a to, um, placebo group that was recruited at the same time. They found a similar 
increase in the rate of adverse events. So there's a higher rate of, there seems to be a higher rate of adverse events. That's one thing. And the other thing is they said, well, we're also going to check out the, we're going to check the immunogenicity, the extent to which these new vaccines um, stimulate a antibody response. They test, of those 252 people, they tested four of them. They never checked them before they got vaccinated. They only checked them after they got vaccinated. And one of the four, they were all under 23 years old, one of the four didn't have an antibody response. Right. So on the just if they had ever actually done the study that they said they were going to do, it would have shown huge, you know, red warning signs. Um, wow. But they never did. Of course they didn't. Oh, yeah. man. Right, Josh. I've got a couple of questions. You know, the hardest one of the hardest things for this okay. podcast is you're going to find this hilarious. One of the hardest things is getting a decent picture from my guests, from my, from, from my thumbnail. I get pictures like that are 20 years old. I get pictures that are, you know, they're, they're special promo pictures. <laughs> and I get, and I, I, all I want is a front facing head shoulder profile picture. You look so handsome. You look amazing. Your nice shirt. Just, can you go outside and take a selfie and send it to me, please? So I can upload this podcast today. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, I, it's raining right now, but um, okay. <laughs> I, I have a picture. I'll send it to you. If you don't like it, I'll do another selfie. Okay. 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 Then the next thing is: imagine you're 155. You've lived a really good long life. You know, great diet, just being happy. You've seen peace. You've seen peace in the Middle East, despite you know your initial. That's it happens. Um, anyway, you've lived a long life. Your children all around you, your grandchildren, great grandchildren, and you're on your deathbed. You're going to meet your maker. You're very happy. What words of wisdom, what advice would you give them, health or otherwise? Well, assuming the world looks a little bit like it still does, my advice. Uh, would be to ignore what the authorities tell you is the best thing for you and probably to do the exact opposite. Um, maybe not in every case, not maybe not in every case, but for the most part, right? They, if they tell you to eat the bugs, don't eat the bugs. <laughs> um, they tell you to take uh, a sunshine pill, vitamin D, don't take the pill. Go out and be in the sunshine. Get that. Yeah. Get it naturally. Don't, don't take it in a pill. And I could go on and on and on. Um, you know, one of the big things that I've been talking about a lot, or I've been also investigating a lot, is this idea that vitamin A is actually not a vitamin and it's harmful. Um, that's a whole nother, that's a topic for a whole nother post, but it's another example of how the sort of advice that you get, uh, is from, you know, the establishment is just upside down to the truth in almost every case. So, well, dude, we need to do another one. We need to schedule another one. Talk about vitamin A hundred percent. Yeah. I could talk about it for hours. <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, let's do it then. Honestly, that's it. It's a date. All right. We'll do it. <laughs> I'll send you some dates. Right. Pro Great. Probably in the okay. new year. Probably in the new year. January. Great. All right. 
Anytime. Listen, brother, I, I have to say, I'm still very sad I didn't get to see you. I'm really looking Me forward too. to it. I'm really disappointed that my flight was cancelled. Because we had a couple of like exchanges and chats, and I was like, I'm really looking forward. I, I just felt like, you know, we would get on really well. And um, you're a good soul. Yeah. And I'd say, you know you what, keep doing, keep doing your good work, uncover the, the BS. You know, because I think you, you've got qualifications in criminology. Is that right? Well, my degree is in sociology, but I work, I have an appointment, a part-time appointment in the Criminology Institute, and a lot of my work is in the field of criminology. Um, yeah. The last couple of years, I decided to stop studying criminals and trying to actually catch them in the act, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that it's that hard gets, and it get, gets me anywhere. They're very slippery, but just stay safe because people who question also get into trouble. And I don't want you to get into trouble. I got into trouble. I got suspended from work four weeks ago for just doing this. That's and um, I can't go into it in just great detail. Yeah, my social what? media, my podcast. Apparently I'm conspiratorial and of, I'm of concern. There you go. There you go, buddy. This is the world we that live in. Totally relates to hear that it's totally it relates 100 to what we we're just saying about uh being censored right it's not just, yeah. just censoring you essentially we wrote yeah. a paper about that uh, censorship and suppression of uh what do we call it uh, heterodox views on COVID 19 it's it's horrible it's horrible uh yeah it's alive and kicking. We live in a very dystopian age. And like you, I don't trust authority. I don't trust the state. I don't trust the media. I don't trust anything. I know they're constantly trying to manipulate me. And there's propaganda everywhere. And, I, and that's why I don't give in to hate. That's why I don't let them rattle my cage. And I try and stay. I had a podcast with someone. It was really funny. He said, try and stay aloof. It's very difficult, but just try and stay aloof and see the bigger picture. And that was really good advice. Yeah. And um, anyway, we're going to meet again. We're going to meet in person one day. And, you know, like I said, I'll cook you up that steak. (laughs) All right, brother. Thank you so much. Everyone listening, I'll post um, Joshi's links on the website. Please support me. Um, um, Subscribe to my Substack. It's only £35 a year. It's nothing for these amazing podcasts. So stop being stingy and tight and just subscribe. Oh, God bless you. All right, mate. Listen, big man hug. And um, I mean it. I love you. And thank you so much. It's been lovely t- talking to you. And, and you know, I know it's difficult what you're going through, but there's a lot of love. There's a lot of people out there who have love and, you know, sympathy for what you guys are all suffering. As far as I'm concerned, all of you guys are suffering out there. And, um, I love you all. I mean that. Okay? Thank you.